Bishop Tom Daly of the Diocese of Spokane in Eastern Washington. And joining me in the Bishop and Vickers is Father Derek McConnell, the Vicar General and Rector of Our Lady of Lourdes Cathedral, Father Brian Mee, the pastor of St. Augustine's Parish and Vicar for Finance, and Father Pat Kurse, Vicar for Priests and the pastor of St. Thomas More and St. Patrick Parish in Hilliard here in Spokane. Today's topic is going to be on chivalry, and there's a quote here that chivalry never died, the gentleman in most men died. Being male is a matter of birth, being a man is a matter of age, being a gentleman is a matter of choice. There are a number of men's conferences in the Catholic diocese throughout the United States that are trying to help Catholic men come to grips with the responsibilities they have uh, as men of faith and as husbands and fathers. And Archbishop Chaput from the Di Archdiocese of Philadelphia spoke in the Diocese of Phoenix at their men's conference. And in his talk, he spoke of the new knighthood of holy virtue. We'll speak more about that uh, in the, later on in the show. But maybe, Father Me, you can speak to us about the history of this whole concept of perhaps Christian knighthood and those areas. Well, I think... Christian knighthood, of course, we can go back a thousand years. We have the initiation of Christian knighthood. But um, the church was actually looking at the conditions of the time. And uh, in Germanic lands, they had warriors in a form of knighthood, but certainly in a way that we wouldn't call uh, Christian. Uh, they were out there raping, pillaging, uh, plundering. In some ways, I suppose that type of pre-Christian knighthood or pre-Christian warrior could be seen as gangs today. Um, so you had a church who said, well, what are we to do with, we're um, Christianizing this, these people, but what do we do with the men? Well, we don't demasculinize them, but how do we channel... Is that a word? I don't think that's a word. Demasculate. <laughs> it will be. Yeah. It will be a word soon. <laughs> Hold on to write it down. Mm -hmm. But how do we, instead of, um, how do we channel that energy of a man as opposed to trying to somehow just squash it? Uh, and so they began to look upon channeling those, uh, that aggressiveness or whatever the, that we sometimes see as being part of a man, uh, and using it for good. And that's the beginning of Christian knighthood. And so that was seen as rather, okay, now rather than simply, simply conquering, uh, how do we conquer for the sake of good? Or how do we uh, live for good? So you begin to have the whole concept of Christian knighthood that was based on a virtuous life. And so if, when you begin to see, um, if you remember the Song of Roland back in the 11th century, uh, it was a very early kind of understanding of knighthood, and still it was a very physical understanding of knighthood, where Roland, he, in his last battle, he appreciated the way he was slicing through bodies and cutting up bodies. But in the end, he makes a sacrifice. He sacrifices uh, for his other soldiers. But by the, in a couple hundred years' time, you begin to have that whole uh, Arthurian legends where it turns uh, the whole purpose of knighthood changes from the physical much more to the spiritual. It's a spiritual quest for that which is virtuous, for that which is holy. And one of the things I think uh, important in knighthood, it wasn't based on uh, blood. It wasn't uh, your, where, who your father was, but rather it was based on holiness. 
and uh, virtuous living. So they began to see it not only does one have to be of sound body, but of sound soul, and that's the beginning of Christian knighthood. One of you uh, used the word gentleman a little while ago, um, and I think that might be a, I mean, we don't have, a, I guess, a experiential concept of knighthood really today, but um, I think we do have men in our lives and have had men in our lives whom we would say were really uh, just models of what it means to be a Christian gentleman that that uh, reflect in their lives all those virtues. I was reading um, St. Bernard of Clairvaux. Clairvaux is in, in Germany, I believe. Um, South, it's actually right. South of Cincinnati. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, the four-door Clairvaux, I think. Yeah, exactly. That was a model from Buick in the mid-70s. Anyway, he wrote uh, in praise of, of knighthood. This is in the, the 12th century. And he said the Christian knight uh, should be marked by, and again, I, the, per, the person in my mind as I read this, frankly, is my grandfather, my maternal grandfather. Um, Grandpa my, Kelly? Grandpa Kelly, right. Yep. God rest his soul. God rest his soul. Um, as I listen to these, or read these, these virtues, I just think of him. And this was 13, you know, this is the 13th century, uh, and Grandpa just died. Humility, austerity justice, obedience, unselfishness, a single-minded zeal for Jesus Christ in defending the church, the poor, and the weak. Uh, as I think about my life, my, my, my grandfather, he certainly fit in all of those categories the definition of a, of a medieval knight, even though he lived in our, our modern world. You know, one of the things, uh, the Knights Templar, of course, we think of, and sometimes when From we Dan see... From Dan Brown's novel... Well, when that angels gives are a, among us, certainly a negative twist on the Templars. Why but, is it negative? But Dan Brown's <laughs> interpretation of the knights were. But the whole spirituality, part of the spirituality of knighthood, and especially the Templars, was having a devotion to the Blessed Mother. And in that devotion to the Blessed Mother, uh, actually devoting oneself for the sake of women as well and recognizing their role. And sometimes we don't think, especially in medieval times, of that being. A priority, but it really was, and even down to you speak of a gentleman, down to um, from knighthood to chivalry to courtesy. Well, up to a generation ago, you know, if a woman would enter a room, uh, a man would, would stand up, or if she left a room, would stand up, uh, opening the door for a woman, uh, using a more a less coarse language in the presence of women, and all of those uh, those things of etiquette actually come from this time of chivalry and knighthood where it's showing uh, a respect for, a reverence for, and a devotion to women. So one could almost say uh, as we demasculate men, uh, also in our society today, maybe that's why we question, well, where's the role of women or do we show enough re uh, respect to women today? Well, I think the, the comments followed me makes especially pertinent, we have gone through months of um, scandals uh, coming to the front for uh, behavior in Hollywood. Uh, uh, and Father uh, Bishop, Archbishop Chaput talks about a real reform of male behavior will never come at, about through feminist lectures and mass media man-shaming by celebrities and award ceremonies. A man's actions and words change only when his heart changes for the better. And we've had... Uh, countless examples of women coming forward and talking about how they have been treated as, as objects and uh, have suffered sexual assault. And uh, there's trials going on right now as this uh, our show is on on the radio. But how do we bring a Christian uh, 
dimension to this because this is a controversial topic because we're saying um, our executive producer was speaking about a conference she'll be attending in Rome where they're listing all sorts of issues there but uh, that are affecting women today. But what about um, uh, the role that men have in, in responsibility to create, to help create uh, an, an atmosphere of respect and those virtues that, that you're speaking of that uh, Father Connell's grandfather uh, modeled? I, one of the things that's, that's uh, happening in parishes and I know is happening in mine um, that I didn't start, it just happened kind of organically, was we have a group of oh, men in their 30s, I would say, uh, young husbands and dads. And uh, every morning, or sorry, every Wednesday morning at 6.30, they gather at the cathedral um, to uh, discuss a book and, and, to, and to pray. And um, I, I told them they kind of uh, shame me because I'm, rolling out of my bathrobe and getting my coffee and I look out over there and there's about 11 a.m. studying and praying. Yeah. No, not that bad. But um, and I, I know that what that does for them is that they're really trying to live these virtues in their daily lives in a, in a culture that's not very supportive of that. And there's so many things that work against family life and, and, and dads and husbands today that what I sense is that they find great support and solidarity in listening to one another and, and, talking about these virtues in a very practical way in their marriages and their families. And so I think those kinds of men's groups are, are great opportunities. Have they participated in the man tour? I don't know. You've heard of the man tour? No, what is the man tour? So the man tour. Did you make it up? uh, It is not. It's a, it's an evening that combines throwing axes, drinking beer, eating pizza, smoking cigars, and participating in Eucharistic adoration. Are you kidding me? I am not kidding. This is what a, is that? A Mother of Sorrows Parish in Fort Wayne. This is uh, nationwide, uh, mm-hmm. led by a conventional Franciscan. Sponsored by Mother Cabrini Memorial. Yeah, yeah it's so a medical it, center. <laughs> and the whole point of that, just getting guys together to do things they like to do, like we have that that paradigm of guys sitting around and bang, banging drums, and that's their expression of their. See, but I, th- I, d- so I think forth. that's uh, missing what knighthood is. In other words, uh, you're taking, you're trying to combine two contradictory things, one where you're drinking, smoking, all the rest, and then you go to Eucharistic adoration. But the knighthood, the uh, genius of knighthood was how do you channel those things that are natural to a man into his spirituality. So even the initiation of a knight, the original initiation of a knight, uh, there'd be a physical bath, but that's because there was also to be a spiritual bath. It was to spend the night uh, in vigil, in prayer, making a confession so he's purified in body and soul. And then uh, his being dubbed a knight actually takes place in the context of the Mass. So a knight had found a way of blending what is man into um, what is sacred. That seems to me to be bringing together two opposites. Well, in, in Archbishop Shapu's talk, he speaks of uh, a new knighthood that combines uh, a new order uh, much the way, as Father Me was speaking about at the, with the Templars, they took this issue and built a new order of new Christian men, skilled at arms, living as brothers, committed to prayer, austerity, and chastity, and devoting themselves radically to serving the church and her people, especially the weak. And he goes on to say that because men by nature are meant to provide, protect, and to lead, not for our own sake, nor for empty vanities and appetites, but in service to others, He raises the question that we're trying to address. How do we reclaim a Christian masculinity that allows for the protection, the providing, and leading 
to work uh, with women, to respect women, to do so in a way. And he says basically, again, a man's actions and words change only when his heart changes for the better. Uh, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to find out, suggest ways that maybe this could occur for the men of our parishes who are husbands and fathers in a way to strengthen their love for their, their wives and, and their sons and daughters. to the bishop and the vicars, we're speaking on the concept of Christian gentleman-like behavior in light of all that's gone on in our society and especially in the Hollywood circuits. And again, in the conference that Archbishop Shabu from Philadelphia gave in the Diocese of Phoenix, he had one a great quote. He said, Christianity is still a fighting religion. He's making a reference there to C.S. Lewis. And he continues, living the gospel involves a very real kind of spiritual warfare. Our first weapon should always be generosity, patience, mercy, forgiveness, an eagerness to listen to and understand others, a strong personal witness of faith, and speaking the truth with love. That type of uh, high standard is, uh, leads, we believe, uh, Christian men to strive for something great. Uh, concept of sacrifice, we saw that in the uh, French police officer who, was, who gave his life um, when there was a terrorist attack in the south of France, and uh, he was a man of faith preparing to be married in the church, and um, we see it time and time again. But how do we, as um, in a time when uh, genders are being blurred and there's multiple genders on applications, and some people argue there's no distinction between uh, men and women, how do we capture uh, that sense of what it means to be a Christian gentleman and how that is in keeping with the dignity of the human person and what Christ would ask of us. I mean, what's going on in our parishes to help uh, support uh, husbands and fathers? Nothing, I guess. <laughs> well, Darren already well, talked about his, the group in his, in his parish that does that, and, and there are fraternal organizations such as the Knights of Columbus, which are a vehicle through which uh, men can come together as men and be of service and prayer and, and fraternity. And... Bishop mentioned earlier those men's conferences that happen. Uh, of course, there are also women's conferences, and, and I think we're very sensitized to the fact that when we talk about the, the specialness of, of being men and the call to holiness as males, that's in no way to be of denigration to women or, and uh, to recognize that uh, we're all called to holiness, and there's a, a basic equality in our fundamental dignity as people, whether we're men or women, but there are unique things about men and, and things that are different about men and, and that's what we're, I think, challenged to do is to identify those things and their goodness and build those up. And, and uh, you know, we'd say in, generally in parishes, we're trying to do that for everybody at the same time through our liturgical life, through our catechetical programs and so forth. But, but as Bishop notes, there are opportunities to, to besides the man tour, throwing axes and drinking beer, that there are other uh, methods of trying to... Although Father Rick Semple received for Christmas uh, a chainsaw from his parishioners up mm. in uh, Republic, which was... Uh, <laughs> and you were talking about splitting bodies splitting earlier. Splitting bodies. Know, Roland would like that. Okay. But Good. No, I was thinking, Bishop, when you were talking about um, blurring identity of male, female, man, and woman, uh, to do that, it's, it, in a way, it's saying 
that we already are complete in ourselves and therefore, you know, we're just all the same, but we're not. And actually, in the way God created us, it's saying that uh, there's a completion in that other, other than ourselves. So for the man, somehow in giving himself to the woman and the woman giving herself to the man is where we have that completion and wholeness. And for the man, I think it is, uh, and this you know, goes back to the knighthood of somehow sacrificing himself, protecting, caring for, uh, and showing a reverence for the woman. So I just think that's, uh, you know, that's kind of the, the concept of knighthood that somehow that we have to translate or bring into our generation. Along those lines, the Archbishop gives some kind of practical advice to men, uh, but in a, I guess, a, in, a, in a way that's an imperative rather than, you know, a thou shalt not. He says um, to men, do love the women in your life with the encouragement, affection, support, and reverence they deserve by right. That was interesting that women have a, a have a right to that from from men. He goes on to say, do not or do be faithful to your wife in mind and body. Do show courtesy and respect to the women you meet, even when they don't return it. And finally, those of you who marry do have more children and do invest your time and heart in them. Some practical, I guess, uh, words of of and positive ways in which men can relate to women. One of the challenges, of course, in our culture is the uh, number of men who um, seem to be locked in a perpetual adolescent behavior, a reluctance to make a commitment. And we know that one of the marks of maturity is not really age, it's the ability to accept responsibility. Uh, one of the stats said in 1962, 70% of American adults were married. Today, 50% are. In 1950, almost all men in their prime were employed. Today, one out of every 10 American men is unemployed in the, in the strength of his years. And these stats show there's, there's a lot of despair going on. Uh, men who smoking marijuana, drinking, playing video games, uh, the rate of suicide, uh, 71% of the uh, stats for uh, 2016, there were 121,000 deaths of despair, they call it. 71% were suffered by men. Stats that men account for 67% of American overdoses, 77% of American suicides. So we have here um, a sense of, again, despair. Is it the lack of purpose, uh, the role, the importance of men acting responsibly, uh, what are your thoughts on that? I, I think that uh, part of it's just in the way that we, if you look at children today or look at uh, young boys, men, uh, that we, we have them grow up in this uh, very passive way uh, so that, I mean by that, so that they're taken, everything is planned for them. So even though they're playing sports or whatever else, they're picked up, they're taken to where they're to play, they're put down on the field and say, okay, play now, okay, that's done pick them up, take them to the next activity so that they're being very passive in their activities. And for a male, for a man, I think a man has to, he has to go and forge his way. He has to be that active one. So that when he's constantly put in a passive role, that is going to cause frustration. Now that's just, you know, that example of uh, in childhood, but I think it's, it plays out as well that unless a man really, uh, uses his energy and engages in activity, uh, he is going to be frustrated. 
And so the more passive that we call upon men to be, uh, the more difficult it is for them to find any type of outlet that is, uh, that by their very nature, they're meant to, to have. And again, the, the whole idea of knighthood in the early church or in the church in the medieval times wasn't that somehow you uh, put uh, men in a passive state, but rather you take those energies they have and you channel them for the good of the faith and society. Well, statistics you cite, uh, Bishop, they're certainly alarming. And I, in hearing them and, and then Father Mee's reflection, I think one of the beautiful parts of our tradition as, as Catholics is that we are aware of realities like this and we're not what I call reactionary, my word, which to me presumes that things are done in a vacuum, kind of rootless and so forth, and just, uh, as the word suggests, re just reacting to what's there. And it may or may not be deliberate or well thought out. And I think the beauty of our tradition is that we are responsive rather than reactionary, which to me suggests that it's rooted in tradition. We're responding from something we've known since Christ and, and even before that in the, the revelation of God in Old Testament times. And, and so looking at things like knighthood as a foundation for this recovery of, of the beautiful parts of what it means to be a man and, and to be a woman, that that's really a powerful part of our tradition. So the, the quality, go ahead, Father. The, I just want to pick up something Father was talking about, um, this idea of, of not having men be passive. I, I don't know, to put it another way, or maybe the opposite uh, would be, it seems to me we have a fundamental desire as men to be generative, to, to create, um, whether we're celibate or, or, or married. We, we have that desire within us um, to create and to create goodness. And it, that, that life of virtue, those virtues that we talk about, about knighthood, uh, are generative, that they, they create goodness uh, around us and in the communities that we belong and the people that we associate with. Um, and so perhaps that's why it's so satisfying. And when we're not generative, um, when we're trended on ourselves perhaps, or when we're not generative, um, then we get into those some of those statistics that you were talking about, Bishop. Some of the qualities that uh, mark uh, a Christian gentleman, fidelity um, and um, honesty, loyalty, courtesy. What's, loyal, what's loyalty? Loyalty? <laughs> we'll talk. <laughs> yes. <laughs> good, good question. Uh, generosity. <laughs> uh, generosity of heart, the ability to sacrifice... Um, one's life uh, for something greater. I know we often speak of the Second World War generation of men and women as being the greatest generation, the term uh, that Tom Brokaw used, but you think about that at a time when uh, statues are being torn down and history is attempted to be rewritten. The point is a group of people came together and fought for something they believed in, and that's why we're able to live in freedom today. But to go back to those virtues of loyalty and honesty and fidelity and courtesy and prowess and generosity, the ability to sacrifice, are those being lived and taught uh, in families? Well, that's that. <laughs> it's not being taught in our society. I mean, in individual families, I believe, hopefully that's, that's happening. But I mean, I don't think that's a societal, uh, those are societal values that we have. Bishop, I know we don't have much more time, but I would suggest at some point, and maybe... <laughs> Meeting now. No, we don't have time now. Oh. But coming off of knighthood, it would be nice to do one on, of course, when we usually uh, think of knights, we associate them with the Crusades. 
and that whole story of the crusade, which I believe is uh, misunderstood the story of the crusades today. So I suggest He's rewriting that, history. You know, we could do a show on crusades. We want to do one also on the Inquisition. And there's evidently a large number of the listening audience that are very interested in <laughs> Father Paul Herrick's book, Priests and pe uh, Pets, the story of a perky pug named Pepper. Um, evidently, he's been asked about that at Mass, and, and we'll, we'll try to cover that. Uh, and we'd ask that the listening audience contact our executive producer, um, do we go by your real stage name? No. Uh, yeah, Mary Richards. Uh, or um, Mitchell um, Pomeranian, who is uh, our uh, director of communications on some topics. But we definitely will do a show on the Crusades and, and, and Inquisition. Inquisition. I don't um, love to think about the Polly Pug. Uh, no, Pepper. Pepper. Maybe you could have Father Herrick in, too. Yeah, uh, he's actually once. There's a group of younger priests that have petitioned uh, me to, if they could be guest um, vicars on the show. They're outside the door right now trying <laughs> yeah. to get in. And we're looking, when we do have the rating sweep in uh, May, I expect to hear new voices, funnier voices, more intelligent voices. <laughs> okay, well, that's Funnier voices, for that's sure. That's yeah. not hard. In any case, uh, we ask for your prayers for our families in our diocese of Spokane, the Catholic community of Eastern Washington. And as we are in this Easter season, it is a time of hope and joy and peace. And we pray that those uh, gifts will be part of the lives of our families. And very soon we'll go into May, uh, time we honor our Blessed Mother, but we also have Mother's Day. And of course, June will be Father's Day. But let's keep our parents living and deceased in our prayers. God bless you and thank you for listening.